You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. Welcome to the feed. I'm Ann Romer. This is York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that really matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up. Our Jim Lang with a preview of Super Bowl 55, a far cry from last year. We celebrate Black History Month in Newmarket. Tyler Shaw takes us backstage at Vaughn Winterfest, but we begin at Mackenzie Health. Here's Tina Cortez. Starting Sunday, Vaughn's new hospital will be dedicated to treating COVID-19 patients. Altaf Stashinwala is Mackenzie Health's president and CEO, and he joins us now on the feed. Hello, Altaf, and thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's start with how is the hospital facility being repurposed to help alleviate some of the stress on our healthcare system caused by the pandemic? So, you know, as we look at opening Kordolchivan Hospital, we're going to open it a little bit differently. It's going to be exclusively focused on creating uh, bed capacity for critical care and acute care patients. Uh, so what that means is that we're not going to open other parts of the hospital that we had originally planned for, like the emergency department. Uh, we'll keep that space in reserve so we could actually open another 28 ICU uh, spaces in the emergency department. So it's really uh, there as a, a relief valve to an overstretched system that has been seeing huge pressures put on by the COVID-19 pandemic. Our, uh, our plan is to open uh, 150 uh, medical beds and another 35 ICU beds. And then obviously, with some of the other available space, we can continue to expand more and more capacity uh, if staffing is made available. And where did the idea come from, if I could ask you, to pivot or change the direction for the Vaughan Hospital? Well, I really think it came about in early January when we started to see some of the projections of uh, case counts in the community and how those case counts would then get translated into hospital activity. And with forecasts uh, looking at as much as 500 ICU patients uh, at the end of January, we really started to think about what could we do differently at Kordoluchivan Hospital. We were seeing uh, some of our neighboring hospitals open up field tents uh, to care for additional patients. Uh, We were seeing patients transported all over the province, uh, patients from Scarborough going as far as Kingston, patients from Peel Region going as far as Hamilton and, and London. Uh, so we really felt that uh, with the capacity, the physical capacity and the staffing that we had in, in place, that we could be a solution to the system. Uh, and our geography being right off Highway 400 and being uh, sort of in close proximity to the hardest hit regions of Toronto, York and Peel, it just made sense for us to, to step up and, and be a system solution. And is the staff ready? How have they been preparing? Well, we've been preparing for years. You know, as I uh, have said many times, this is a 10-year project now coming to fruition with the opening uh, on Sunday. Uh, So staff have been preparing for years, and from a staff uh, staffing perspective and a training and orientation perspective, we've been at this for six or seven months. Uh, But now, obviously, we've had to pivot, as you've said, to uh, sort of open a little bit differently. So uh, the focus, again, is on medicine and ICU beds, and obviously uh, positioning our equipment and our technology a little bit differently to be focused in those spaces, Um, and really then redeploying many of our staff. So uh, some of our emergency staff uh, will now be redeployed to work on some of our medicine units, some of our surgical staff that would have been working in areas like our post-anesthesia recovery area 
will now be supporting our ICU. So staff have really stepped up. They've really embraced us. They are actually very charged with being sort of um, a system solution and, and being flexible, nimble, and really supportive about doing things a bit differently, knowing very much that we will then pivot back to what we originally intended uh, once the pandemic uh, surge subsides. Now, you signed on 10 years ago. It's certainly not what you expected going in, I'm sure. Uh, not what we expected, but, you know, we did always plan this facility to be ready in the event of uh, an infectious disease. So we're fortunate that uh, the rooms are all single-bed occupancy rooms, and even the rooms that are in, in uh, normal terms called the ward rooms, so we have a few three-bedded rooms, they all have individual washrooms, so they're very much like a single-bed room. Uh, we have our uh, building systems that have the ability to move from negative to positive pressure in any of the rooms. We can convert entire uh, uh, wings to that effect. So it's always been designed with the ability uh, to care for infectious patients, and obviously um, that's why we felt we were well-suited to step up uh, as a system solution as well. When this announcement was made a couple of weeks ago, you said it was a temporary measure. Do you think you can predict how long this change of plans will be in place? Uh, hard to predict, but there is positive uh, sort of news as we look at what is happening. So, as I said, you know, we were looking at 500 cases being uh, the projection for the end of January. We're, we're not at that number. We're actually in the high 300s right now. So, case counts in ICU have been dropping. Um, so, that's good news. Case counts in terms of the queue numbers have also been dropping. But we also know that there is a variant uh, in play right now in Ontario, and that is a little bit more contagious. So, we were just... We're being mindful, but we're optimistic that as the, as the curve continues to bend downward, uh, that hopefully uh, we'll be in a place where uh, the capacity and system is stable, and then we can actually pivot back to opening as a full-service hospital, part of our two full-service hospital model in Richmond Hill and Vaughan, and then really opening the way we committed to this community many, many years ago and, and being a key resource, not just uh, for inpatient beds, but with an eMERGE department, uh, with mental health uh, beds, with pediatric and obstetrical uh, beds, and as well uh, as part of our district stroke unit. It's also been described as a state-of-the-art smart hospital. What does that mean? Well, it means that we've really uh, tried to leverage technology to uh, the full extent um, by having uh, sort of systems in place that make um, the provider's uh, ability to deliver care more efficient and, and more accurate from a patient safety and a risk perspective but also ensuring that the patient's experience is that much more enhanced. So we have, uh, for example, tablets at the bedside that obviously provide the traditional things like the ability to see uh, videos and entertainment, but also provide specific information around the kinds of uh, patient education they need for their specific condition. They can get detailed information on the medications they're on. Uh, they can communicate uh, with the staff. Um, uh, so they have all kinds of sort of tools at the bedside that can even lower the blinds, adjust room temperature, uh, lighting, and uh, obviously also uh, enable them to do uh, all kinds of other interactions and really be in control of, of, their, of their patient experience, uh, which, is, which is key. Uh, the technology is really driven by our electronic medical record where the first hospital, acute care hospital in Canada, achieved this designation of HIMS 7 which means that we are a completely paperless hospital, but it also means that bad information is available uh, to the patient, to other providers, and a multi-site environment enables that record to be accessible at any site, at any location, 
so that uh, from the patient's perspective and the provider's perspective, uh, key accurate information is at the fingertips of everybody to deliver uh, more comprehensive care. We also have all of our medical devices integrated with that electronic medical record, so you're not having to re-input data. It just flows in naturally from a physiological monitor or any other uh, key device, including the bed that takes uh, all kinds of patient measurements from their movements to their weight. Uh, so everything is integrated, which is a, a very powerful place to be. A technological marvel indeed. To be clear, though, residents in York Region cannot arrive at the Cordelucci Vaughan Hospital for COVID assessment at this time, right? It doesn't work that way. No. So, uh, obviously, some key services are not available. The most important is that the emergency, emergency department is not open and active. So, again, uh, the Blue H will not be there on the hospital until uh, the emergency department is open. And from a COVID testing perspective, we already have two locations where we do testing. Uh, one at the Mackenzie Richmond Hill Hospital. We have another site uh, at our uh, location at Rutherford and Jane, just down the street, actually, uh, next to our urgent care center. And again, we do testing there as well. And if there's demand uh, from the community, we can obviously open up a third site. We do provide uh, vaccination at the Kotaluchivan Hospital. And again, when more vaccines are available, we'll be opening up that uh, to the broader community. All right. So finally, what's your message then to staff in the community who expected their local hospital to open to them this year? Well, first of all, I'm incredibly proud of our staff. They have uh, continued to stay focused. They've... uh, enable the shift to happen um, in a very meaningful and, and uh, in a very committed way. They have worked so hard for the last year uh, coming to work in the midst of this pandemic, always understanding that uh, they needed to do what was important for patients and their families and the community, uh, obviously all worry, worried about their own safety and the safety of their families, but they've put that uh, sort of behind them and, and focused on what had to happen. Um, for the community, you know, this is not what we planned for, but I don't think anybody planned for a pandemic. And we've uh, disrupted our lives day in, day out. I think people can appreciate just how different the world is. Uh, so I, I think they understand why we have to do this, but also understanding that uh, the uh, hospital that we committed to, to the residents of Vaughan and the surrounding community, will happen in just a matter of time. We ask our community to continue to adhere to public health measures it's critical that they do that, and uh, the more they do that, the more we're able to bend the curve and ultimately come back to uh, opening this hospital the way we intended. Altov Stationwala is Mackenzie Health's president and CEO. Thank you for joining us on the feed. Thank you. On December the 6th, 2020, Luciana Krupe lost her beloved husband, Joe, just 65 years old, to COVID-19. But Luciana did not lose her will to live or to give. She and her children, Victoria and Anthony, have devoted every waking minute these past two months to raising funds for the hospitals that tried valiantly to save Joe Krupe's life. Luciana joins us now on the feed with an update on her courageous fight to fundraise, the generous response from donors, many of whom are complete strangers, and what the hospitals are planning to do in Joe's memory. Welcome to the feed, Luciana. Thank you so much, Anne. It's nice to speak to you again. I have to ask you, how are you doing? I'm okay. I mean, each day each day is a challenge, of course. You know, I, I don't know whether it's going to be a good day or a bad day. Um, you know, grief and mourning is, uh, is is quite difficult on its own. So, uh, and, and mixed in with COVID, 
it's uh, definitely a challenge for me and my family. Last week, you got a phone call from UHN, University Health Network, about the money that you and your children have been raising in Joe's memory. What was the topic of that discussion? What was said to you? Well, they wanted to touch base with us because now, um, now that we've raised 211000 just over that, uh, for Toronto General Hospital, they have now closed the uh, fundraiser and they wanted to discuss what uh, they wanted to buy with the money that was raised. And uh, we did have a, actually it was a virtual uh, Zoom session that we had. And um, it was nice to finally meet Dr. Ferguson. And, and um, we already know Dr. Grant and we've, we've spoken to him before. He was uh, Joe's doctor. And uh, so they told us what machines they wanted to get, which was fantastic hmm. to hear. And so much effort on your part and the part of the incredible donors uh, to bring the total to just over $211,000. That's going to buy a lot of equipment. I understand one piece of equipment is a state-of-the-art cardiac ultrasound machine. Yes, that's right. And right now they only have two others, but they're basic ultrasound machines. So this one will be, um, as they described it, the Cadillac of ultrasound. And um, it's going to enable ICU to obtain a true function of the heart for patients with lung failure. And this will also help determine which patients will develop um, severe lung complications down the road. An advanced respiratory monitor. What is that? So that is um, uh, basically it allows to take a detailed measurement of the respiratory parameters. It's also going to reduce treatment time. So currently there's only one machine and that's used in research. This one's actually going to be used on patients, so it'll be fantastic uh, advancement for them. The money you raised will also go toward the purchase of a TEE probe machine. Can you explain that one? Yeah, that one is going to allow imaging through the esophagus. So rather than taking a patient out of the room, you know, sometimes when they're so critical, um, and take them, you know, down an elevator into the hallway. Uh, expose them if they have COVID to other people. Um, it's going to allow them to send a camera down their esophagus and uh, monitor the heart function for ECMO patients. So this is going to be conducted all by bedside rather than risking the patient to be moved. These pieces of equipment, were they needed and necessary and not there when Joe was hospitalized? Um, I don't uh, definitely not the state-of-the-art cardiac ultrasound machine. That wasn't there. I'm not quite sure about the other ones, to be honest with you. Um, I, I'm pretty sure the TEE was not because they had to move him down the elevator, and apparently, he, although he was sedated, his body didn't like that. So this is going to be just fantastic that they won't be able to move, they won't have to move patients and they can just do it right at their bedside. I was hoping, you know, it would have been nice when he was there if they did have it, but they didn't. The balance of the funds raised, about $10,000. Where will that money go? So that's going to go towards COVID patients um, and it's going to help identify new and better ways for caring for some of the sickest patients and to help improve some of their health outcomes. This is what I think is probably the most touching part of, of this discussion and, and what Toronto General Hospital 
wants to do in Joe's memory. Tell me about the quiet room in ICU. So the quiet room is a room that actually myself and my family went to um, on the last day of Joe's life when we had to make the most difficult decision whether we were going to continue keeping him on these machines that, that were basically keeping him alive or if we were going to go ahead and stop everything. And um, so now they have decided to name that room after him and it's a, a room where people go to reflect and, and um, make these difficult decisions. So that is such a great honor. We can't tell you how how we were just in tears when they told us that because it, it, it was just so near and dear to our hearts. And we hope that it makes, uh, it makes everybody else's um, decisions easier for them. Absolutely. And I think that is a, a, a beautiful way to pay tribute to a man loved and revered and gone far too soon. May I ask you, are there other ways that Toronto General uh, is going to make sure that Joe's name is everywhere it can be? Yes, they're going to be putting or attaching plaques to all the new equipment that they are getting. They're also going to give us a tour once this pandemic is over, if, it ever, if it's ever over. Um, they're going to give us a tour of the um, hospital and the machines, where they are, what they do. So we're so excited to see that. Um, and as well as uh, he's going to, his story is going to be featured in the yearly donor newsletter. And uh, that's about it. I mean, that's, that's more than we can ask for. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. Markham Stovall Hospital, you're still raising money for that incredible hospital. Tell me what they need and, and how you're going about encouraging people to donate. Well, that one is still open, and we haven't yet discussed what they're going to need. They, they will need something in ICU, and I know that that's, I think, where they're leaning towards, but we haven't really had those discussions yet as to what they're going to buy, but... Um, definitely machines that are going to save lives. That's the most important thing. So we're looking forward to hearing what they have planned. I want to ask you, you know, as I listen to you describing the different machines and uh, their purpose and, and their uh, efficacy, I guess, the, how they're going to make things better for patients and for caregivers and for the healthcare system, did you ever think that you would be speaking that kind of language? Never. Never. This was just never in the forefront of my mind, ever. I mean, you know, we all donate to hospitals. We all donate wherever we can. But to take it to the next level and try and do something as big as this for the hospitals is just something that we are just so proud of and we're so happy that his name is going to live on. And, you know, I hope that everybody else just steps up to the plate and makes a small donation to, you know, either hospital, it's fine. I'm sure that Toronto General won't turn you back if you <laughs> gave them some more money. But um, definitely Markham Stouffville could use the money, and, uh, and, and uh, we were, were happy to bring this to the forefront for people to understand. You and your children, the incredible Victoria, the amazing Anthony, the three of you have been... Oh, so hard at work trying to encourage donations and to make all of this happen. What has that meant to you? I'm so proud of my children. I mean, really, at a time when, 
you know, just after Joe passed away, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking straight. I wasn't uh, in the right space, you could say. And they just took it under their belt and they, they did all this. And I'm so proud of them. And I know that going forward, it's not going to stop here. I know that they're going to want to do some more, whether it's golf tournaments or when we can do all this, um, they're going to want to raise some more money and, and continue it. Does it give you a sense of, of purpose? Yes, it does, actually. It does. And it just makes you, uh, you just feel like you're doing something for somebody else. Uh, Joe didn't, wasn't lucky enough to, to survive, but there's other families out there that could definitely, you know, um, use these machines or, you know, save lives. And I hope that we make a difference in their lives. You had a strong message for us when we last spoke, and it was about COVID-19, that, that you, you have to take it seriously. What is your message today? It hasn't stopped. It hasn't stopped. I mean, we still have to take it seriously. Um, you know, we do everything that we can on a day-to-day basis, and, and, and I see, you know, people out there maybe not following some of the rules, and sometimes I just get, I get so angry or so... I, I just, I, I really can't explain it. I just wish that people would do as they're told, follow the rules, and let's hope for the best in the future and that, and that we can all be together again and hug one another and be together because the worst part about it is losing somebody and not being able to be with your friends and your family. It's, it's, that's half the battle in itself. So I can't wait for that day. I really can't. You're a remarkable person, and it is such an honor to have become closer to you since we last spoke here on 105.9 The Region. And I thank you for your friendship and your unwavering support for all people who are dealing with COVID-19, both patients, victims, and the healthcare workers, the frontline workers that are doing everything to try and save lives. Thank you for what you have done, Luciana, raising over $211,000. That really is quite incredible for TGH and 51000 and counting for Markham Stovall Hospital. Thank you so much, Anne, and thank you so much for bringing this to the forefront for everybody out there, and we're still talking about it. Um, two months later, I'm... I'm I I just want to thank you. My family and I want to thank you for having us on your show and and continuing this conversation about COVID and what it does to lives. To make a donation, go to support.mshf.on.ca. Coming up next, celebrations across York Region. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. It is Black History Month. Afwa Ba now with how one community is sharing stories of strength, courage, and innovation. 
Well, we're celebrating Black History Month uh, this month with many programs throughout February and actually many programs happening across York Region uh, to celebrate all of the rich uh, Black culture and Black history that this province, that this country has to offer. So joining me today to talk about an event that's happening hosted by the New Market African Caribbean Canadian Association. I'm now speaking with chairperson of the organization, Jerisha Grant-Hall. Jerisha, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. Happy uh, Black History Month to you, if I can say it that way. (laughs) Um, Thank you. (laughs) Can you tell me about uh, the organization uh, for residents that may not know? What is uh, NACA all about? So NACA is the New Market African Caribbean Canadian Association. It is a registered nonprofit organization, and we're located, uh, our head office is in New Market, Ontario. And uh, we're focused um, on building our community. Uh, We want to connect communities. We want to support and strengthen Black families and businesses. And we we also focus on empowering Black youth. Uh, We currently have uh, three programs that we're offering to the York Region community. The first one is our scholarship program. And we also have our food security program as we pivot around COVID-19. And, and we also have a mental health program that we, we recently launched. This is absolutely great. So many programs to help the community, to help the African-Caribbean community throughout the year. COVID-19 has definitely impacted all of us in so many different ways. But let's focus on this month with Black History Month. Can you talk to me about the Black panel discussion that uh, the organization is hosting? Yes, so we will be hosting a Black panel discussion on February 13th. Uh, with uh, Dr. Jean Augustine and uh, also Ken Jeffers uh, and Janelle Polydor, who is a uh, youth advocate, a black health advocate. Uh, And so we're very excited about that. And this discussion, uh, talk to me about the importance of it during this month and maybe some of the topics that will be discussed. Uh, It's definitely uh, our month to shine. Uh, Generally, during Black History Month, we want to spotlight and uh, highlight, underscore, celebrate all of those things. We want to celebrate um, Black Canadians uh, and their contributions and achievements. And we also want to be able to lean in to to having bold conversations, right? And so this panel panel discussion in particular will be focusing on advocacy for one, um, given the time that we're in. I think we've always, I think, been advocates from from the start. We've been resistors from the start. And so we want to bring into, into our discussion this idea of personal empowerment as well, So we're going to focus a little bit on resistance, personal empowerment, and talking about what's next for Black futures. Why is it important then to celebrate Black History Month every year in Canada? It is important to celebrate Black History Month every year, and Black History in particular, because it affirms and empowers Black students. Uh, Black students oftentimes don't uh, see themselves in, in the curriculum, and uh, it's important that they be affirmed and that they understand who the, who those people are, those um, black excellence, uh, the pioneers who have contributed so much to their identities and, and communities. 
It's also important because it helps to deepen uh, and broaden our knowledge and understanding of, of Canadian history by including all the stories, right? So it's, it's very important that we reflect um, on, not only on the achievements and contributions to, to, uh, that Black Canadians have made in building Canada's social and economic fabric, but also uh, understanding um, all the stories. It's never a single story. Oftentimes when we, when we look at Black history, we tend to look at slavery as the start, and we know that our history didn't start with slavery and, and trauma, certainly not trauma. Um, so we want to be able to, to, to bring in all those pieces to complete the stories of who we are. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that uh, only because we when we focus on black history, I remember me growing up, we talked about the slave trade and all the things that happened in the U.S. I don't recall hearing much about the history that involved Canada and so many other things that black Canadians also contributed to in order to create uh, such a rich history within this country. So I think that's a great part of the discussion that also has to be highlighted that I'm really glad that you mentioned black Canadians have so much more to offer and uh, have so much history to talk about and to discuss and also, too, you mentioned it earlier, representation matters. Uh, the famous words, if you can see it, you can be it. So these discussions, they absolutely matter. Absolutely. I know you mentioned some points off the top earlier, but if maybe there is one or two things that you want the members of the community to remember or gain from this Black panel discussion, uh, what would they be? That we are people with roots dating back centuries. We're rooted here, we're grounded here, we've, we've cleared, we're farmed, we've protected this land, even though we, we all may have arrived at different times throughout history, we're, we're rooted to this place. We all have a voice. Uh, I want folks to be able to take away the fact that wherever you are, use your voice uh, to stir change. Um, we are the people from the seed of the Wawa Abba tree, and we stand on strong shoulders. Beautiful, beautiful words. Uh, finally, if residents want more information about uh, the New Market African Caribbean Canadian Association, more information about the discussion happening, uh, where do they go for more info? So full details on all the activities and events for Black History Month 2021 can be found at newmarket.ca forward slash Black History. For more information on the New Market African Caribbean Canadian Association, visit nakacommunity.ca. Perfect. nakacommunity.ca. And uh, the February 13th event, Standing on Strong Shoulders, this is a virtual event, right? It is a virtual event. And all details can be found on NACA's website? Newmarket.ca forward slash Black History is our landing page for Black History Month 2021. Perfect. Joining me once again to talk about uh, one of the many events happening in York Region celebrating Black History Month. I've been speaking with chairperson of the New Market African Caribbean Canadian Association, Jerisa Grant Hall. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank you for having me. Our next stop, Vaughn Winterfest. Music director Christina Lavecchia with the headliner. For over 30 years, Vaughan residents have gathered to enjoy Winterfest. But because of the pandemic, the city of Vaughan is taking their celebration online for the first time. The event is set to take place tomorrow at 2 p.m. I'm excited to speak with the headliner of the free virtual event. Here at the station, we're huge fans of his music. Remember what it feels like when you're down and there's no one left around, baby. 
Canadian multi-platinum singer-songwriter Tyler Shaw, who's on the line with me right now. Hi, Tyler. Hello, hello. How are you? Good. How about you? Fantastic. Thank you. Before we get into your performance at Vaughn Celebrates Winterfest, I wanted to get an update mm-hmm. on what you've been up to. First off, congratulations. You and your wife welcomed a baby girl in December. How's That's life? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so how's life as a new parent going? Um, it's pretty like a roller coaster. Um, it's, it's amazing. Don't get me wrong, but it is, it is tough being a, being a new parent with a, with a newborn. But, you know, all things considered, she's inspiring me every single day. So that's really reflecting in my in my new songs that I'm writing and uh, my new album, uh, which is going to be coming out later this year. And how is it during a pandemic? Are you finding it tough being away from family and not getting as maybe as much support as you you know would have in regular circumstances? It is different for sure. I feel like if the pandemic wasn't you know a thing, we would have a lot more help a lot more of the time. But you know, it's a it's a way to grow between you know me and me and Alex and me and our daughter Everly. Um, we're just going to grow as a family. We're going to figure things out. And that's, that's pretty much all you can do. You can as well develop a positive attitude and, and go with it. Exactly. And I'm sure you're making great moments, spending maybe a little bit more time at home because um, you're not on the road. So spending that extra time with your family, I'm sure, is extra special for you. Yeah, that's the silver lining in all this. You know, I've, I was home when the pandemic first happened back in uh, like March, April 2020. That's around the time I found out we were going to have a, a kid in um, December. So I was home for the entire pregnancy, and now I'm home for the first few weeks, which has been incredible. So that is the silver lining in all this, for sure. And speaking of home, your latest single, When You're Home, is such a beautiful song. We love it here at Thank the station. Stars through the window, they light up our disco. It's just you and I, the two of us starring in this show. What inspired the track? It was just one of those those days I had um, a melody in my head before I went into the session. It was that intro bit that you hear the da 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 da. So I went into the session and I, I pulled up the voice note and I started playing it on on the piano. And there were two other writers with me at the time, and and they just like fell in love with that that waltzy kind of vibe. So that was exciting for me, and and we just. Uh, captured the energy all of us and we wrote the song in 45 minutes and mm. it's just one of those things that the lyrics the melody that everything came together um it is all inspired by like the feeling uh, and the comfort you get by by feeling like you're home wherever home is whether it's when you're with someone or if you're physically at your home it's just that feeling of security and warmth and the video for when your home is also out this is the first time you've taken on the role as co-director. How was the experience, and is it a role you're looking to do more of? A thousand percent, yes. The experience was amazing. I mean, growing up, I always used to film, you know, stupid little uh, videos that would probably go viral on, like, TikTok or social media <laughs> nowadays. But, you know, so it's always been in my blood to, to be behind the camera, but obviously I love being in front of it, you know, acting in music videos and acting in general. So to have the co-director credit um, out of a professional setting uh, meant a lot to me. And I had a lot of fun, especially with the young astronauts. There's so much fun to work with and so easy to get along with. So it's been uh, it was a really cool experience and I'm looking forward to do tons more. I think every, every song I come out with now or every video that we decide to do, I'll be co-director. 
And on YouTube, under the video, you commented that if anyone noticed the hidden surprise in the music video, are we letting everyone in on the answer? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's out there right now. If you go see the video, I can't remember the time signature, but um, I, I'd rather not say, I'd rather say that there's a surprise in the music video you just have to watch real quick, but then you'll soon find out if you watch the music video, what that message is. So I'll leave it at that. I'm not going to lie. I had to watch the video twice to see it, but I caught it. <laughs> there you go. So I know the nice. answer, but um, awesome. can we give them a hint of it's about music coming and it's an album, correct? Exactly. Yeah. It basically gives the, the album release date and what the album is called. So if you want to know that, go check out the music video um, and watch closely. And what can fans expect from the new album? They can expect, you know, the same vulnerable, honest, content and lyricism that I've always stayed true to throughout my, my music career. It's just more fantastic stories and more great music. And I, I really do feel like this is, this is my best work to date. Just melody-wise and, and lyricism-wise, it's, it's a fresh look on relationships and life in general. So I'm excited to, to release that and get everyone's input um, and have everyone just enjoy it. I'm speaking with Canadian multi-platinum selling artist, producer, and songwriter Tyler Shaw. How was it working on an album during a pandemic? It was definitely different. You know, usually I fly out to L.A. or I fly out to London to, to get some writing done. Um, luckily, just before the pandemic really blew up and, and became a thing, I was in London at the end of March, so I was able to write a few songs, uh, When You're Home being one of them. But when... Uh, the, you know, the stay at home order and like everything just like shut down happened. And they're like, oh, no travel, no nothing. Just you're at home now. That was like a really interesting time because I'm like, okay, like how am I going to get this album done? Thankfully, you know, it is 2021 and we have the technology to be able to just hop on Skype or Zoom and, and write music. So that's exactly what I did. I really enjoyed doing that because in one entire week, you could have a writing session over Zoom with someone in Berlin and the next day with someone in Los Angeles um, and so on. So it was really cool to have all these different flavors and from all of the world be a part of this, this album. And is that something maybe you would um, bring forward, let's say, in your next album? Because I'm sure you had to make some changes. Were there any specific changes, you know, that you kind of had to do to adapt to the pandemic that you're looking to bring forward in making music when the days of COVID-19 are behind us? I, I love the idea of a Zoom session. It cuts down the transit, uh, you know, the, the, the travel time quite a bit. Although I love traveling, so that, that is something that I would uh, still want to do for writing trips, but you know, if there's a period of time where I need to just do Zoom sessions, then I think everyone is capable. I think this time has proven that everyone's capable in doing it. And we've, you know, created some crazy, some amazing songs over over Zoom rights. So And we're looking forward to it. And speaking of performing and music tomorrow, Sunday, February seventh at two PM, you're headlining the free virtual event Vaughn celebrates Winterfest. Is this the first time you're performing at the event? This is my first time performing at the, the Winterfest event, Vaughn. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. And what can we look forward to from your set? Uh, I'm going to be playing the new single. Uh, I'm going to be playing Remember, but then you can also just, um, you can be sure I'll be playing all of my other hits. So lots of sing and dance too, for sure. 
Awesome. And can you give us a hint maybe on the setting at all, or is it, are you going to keep it a surprise? I mean, you got to watch. I don't want to give too much away. Just, just go ahead and tune in. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And we're loving the music you've given us, and we're looking forward to the new album and your performance tomorrow at Vaughn's Winterfest. It was great speaking with you, Tyler. You as well. Thanks so much. Head over to Vaughn.ca slash Winterfest tomorrow at 2 p.m. to catch headliner Tyler Shaw, along with performances by America's Got Talent, Golden Buzzer winner Roberta Battaglia, and Zero Gravity Circus Fire artists, as well as an interactive science demo by Mad Science, and so much more, all from the comfort of your own home. After the break, we get set for kickoff. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Super Bowl 55 will be decidedly different this year. Jim Lang with the pregame. Super Bowl Sunday, Super Bowl 55, Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the defending Super Bowl champions, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs in a season unlike any other because of COVID. Who better to talk about it than someone who's dealt with everything crazy about this year in the NFL, all the way from beginning to end, singer NFL writer for the Toronto Sun of Post Media, New Market's own John Crick. John, how are you? I'm doing great, Jim. It's Super Bowl week. Doesn't kind of feel like it when you look out your window around here, but, you know, yeah, it's Super Bowl. Real quick, before we get to the actual game, no one thought the NFL could pull this off when Roger Goodell and the league officials came up with the the game plan and had some wiggle room in the schedule, but here we are. They got the games played, the playoffs, and we're at Super Bowl weekend. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. People didn't think that they should have the draft. Remember back in in April? They said that would be, you know, that would just be uh, reckless, and, you know, a lot of people, including very prominent people, uh, within the league and who cover the league and, and other, you know, politicians thought that that was being reckless just to hold a draft, you know, virtually. Now we do everything virtually, right? I mean, who hasn't been on a Zoom chat or whatever? I mean, we're, we're all, many of us are working from home. Um, it's a different world now, you know, obviously, in a lot of ways, 10 months later. But, yeah, they got 268 games in, and there's one more to go this coming Sunday. And who would have thought that they could do it? You know, there's a lot of takeaways, and I'm not going to go down the road that gets my back up a little bit, But um, and I'm not trying to sound irresponsible, but you have to understand that there are 100 players on a field on any NFL game swapping spit and slobber all over each other for three hours, and in 268 games with their contact tracing, they have found that not one player has caught COVID from another player on the field of play. It really makes you wonder why, you know, we're not letting kids play tennis or basketball mm-hmm. or anything. It, it, there's, there are lessons to be learned from this that will handle what this. Hopefully there's never another pandemic, but if there is, I think the NFL has taught us a bunch of lessons here. Now, the Kansas City Chiefs, as a result of COVID-19 and everything and all the protocols the league's put into place, something very mm-hmm. different. Usually, the team arrives Sunday or Monday to the respective city, but they're not arriving in Tampa until late Friday, am I correct? That's right. This is just like any other game. They're at their home facility. They're all staying at home, all the players in Kansas City, and they'll fly in on Friday. And, you know, the, the hotels, it's almost like they're, they're the jet set uh, at any Super Bowl, you know, when they have, like, their yeah, version yeah, of Buttonville yeah, yeah, Airport yeah. where all the small private planes come in. 
it's their lineup on the tarmac on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday with all these rich people flying in. Well, they're kind of doing the same thing. They're coming in Friday, going to play their game, and go home on Monday. It's a, it's a very strange situation this year in a lot of ways, but safety comes first, and the NFL has figured out how to do it. I think of Andy Reid, uh, Eric Bannamy, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, that offense, now they don't even have to worry about the distractions of Super Bowl week. They have another week at home in their own facility to get ready. I think that would augur well for them getting ready for this matchup, John. Yeah, I think it'll help. Yeah, I, I agree. It'll help, obviously, Tampa Bay. They're at home. I mean, yeah. they're the first team in 55 Super Bowls to play host to Super Bowl for both teams' familiarity and regular routine helps because anytime a football team or any of us has to do something important out of a place of comfort, it's different. And you're not sure how you're going to all, especially we've got now 55 players, how are they all going to handle it? This is a very unique situation, and I think it will help both teams play well. Now, John, something you've talked about, and it kind of knocked me off my chair when I read it. Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl in February of 2002. Patrick Mahomes was still in kindergarten. How in the world is Tom Brady still playing at this level? It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, I remember asking him about one of these Super Bowls. You know, it really is hard to remember which one. <laughs> I mean, this is his 10th. <laughs> uh, but I asked him, I said, you know, because, you know, everyone's, Everyone knows what he does. You know, he's going to avocado ice cream, and he's so healthy eating now and in much better shape than he was when he came out as that gangly uh, six-foot-four kid out of Michigan that looked so unathletic and, and unmuscular. And I asked him at one of these Super Bowl scrums, I think it was about three, four years ago, I said, you know, how would today's Tom Brady compete and fare against the 2000 version of the Tom Brady coming out of Michigan? He goes, oh, I kick his ass. You know, I got just, I'm so much more in shape and everything. I wonder what the answer to that question is today compared to even five years ago, because you would never know by some of these games how in shape he is. His arm is still good. It's lively when it needs to be. He's a smart quarterback. He knows that you don't have to rip it every single throw. He, when he needs to, though, he can still do it. It's like he's ageless. Now, he has a good running game to support him. He's got a pretty good offensive line, and he's got a great defense. And I wonder if yep. I'm Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs with some of their injuries in the old line, how they're going to handle that pass rush of the Buccaneers, which was lethal in the NFC Championship game. The Chiefs' offensive line. It is, there are only two guys who started in last year's Super Bowl of the five on the offensive front that protect Mahomes in open holes. There's only two of the five that are playing in this game. They have replacement parts. They jerry-rigged even against the, the Bills. They had two injuries, and they had to move guys around. From, you know, the right guard became the right tackle. and Somebody came off the bench to play an unfamiliar position. They really are winging it on the offensive line. And as you say, against you know that really solid, a lot of former Pro Bowlers on the defensive front for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're going to have their hands full protecting Patrick Mahomes, let me tell you. Speaking with John Crick, the singer NFL writer for Toronto Sun and Post Media, getting ready for Super Bowl 55. Patrick Mahomes is the new face of the NFL. He's Mr. Everything. And I've heard some people try to say, well, he wasn't as good this year as he was last year. He's dealt with some injuries. But my goodness, every time they seem to need a play and need a win, he keeps coming up with those plays and those performances that Andy Reid and the Chiefs need. Can he do it again this Sunday? I don't see why not. Um, I do believe it'll be harder for them to win because, you know, this is one of those rare years, too. We talk about, you know, the, the rare Super Bowl hosting the first time. 
Well, this is every four years, if people don't know, that's only when you play a regular season game against a team in the other conference. They rotate by division. Mm. This just happened to be a year where they played each other in November, and a lot, a lot of people might remember it. Um, it was the Bucks on a Sunday afternoon uh, going against a uh, playing host, same stadium, to the Chiefs. And the Chiefs came out and just blew them off the field in the first quarter and a half. Tyreek Hill, their small, incredibly fast wide receiver for Kansas City, he literally had 200 yards receiving by the end of the first quarter. <laughs> and so everybody's kind of looking at that and extrapolating it. But what we all know about football, probably more than any other sport, is you can't look at how you played against the team two months ago and think that you're playing the same team. There's a lot of injuries. There's At the time, they might have been dealing with injuries. Nothing is the same. And this Kansas City team has wobbled their kind of way through it. It's hard. To, it's really strange to say that. Not wobbled, but in a lot of ways, they didn't deserve their record. of which is It was 14-2, and two, but it was essentially 14-1 and one because they rested key starters for the last game that they lost because it made no difference in the playoff order. But so they're basically a 14 and one team. They really didn't deserve that kind of a record. They had a lot of close games, as you say. And Mahomes, while he was still spectacular when he needed to be, he wasn't as consistently great as he had been in his first two seasons on the whole of the season. He's still, you know, an MVP candidate, but not, you know, off the charts, otherworldly, let's say consistently four quarters every game as he pretty much had been his first two seasons. And I think a lot of that has to do with that offensive line. I mean, it just, it, it really hurts a continuity of an offense. And he, as well as the team, has had to struggle through that. But that they kept winning, that's a credit to them, isn't it? You know, John, I keep looking at this game and I can't help but think that the team with the ball last is going to be the winner. It might well be, you know, and it's in this Tampa Bay offense has really come together. I thought that was a big factor, and I'm not patting myself in the back because I blew most of my preseason picks, but I did <laughs> think that the Buccaneers would get to the Super Bowl because their roster is so full of great players, wide receivers, one of the best receiving cores in the league. You know, you had Brady, I knew that he would probably still be good. I thought he had enough in the tank um, if he would be surrounded by better players, and he has been. But because this year, this past season, I should say, they didn't have any April, May, June practices. The preseason training camps were all condensed. So he's in a new offense, never played with these guys before. It was going to take time. There were a lot of growing pains, as we saw in September, October, November, even into early December. I think they've got their groove now on offense. And defensively, they've been pretty solid most games. So, to me, this game, weather permitting, if it's a good good weather day, which it probably will be in Tampa, Tampa, I mean, this could be a real shootout. And the last team that had the ball, yeah, might be the one that wins. John Crick from the uh, the National Football League writer for the Toronto Sun, a singer NFL writer, doing a little bit different like everybody else virtually, covering what should be a really entertaining game for all from the halftime of the pregame and the game itself. Uh, it'll be different, but at least we have something to look forward to, and it's going to be a great game. John, thank you so much for breaking it down. Look forward to it, and uh, continue good health. Always enjoy talking to you, my friend. We'll see you soon, hopefully. Will do, John. If you missed any part of our show, please go to 1059theregion.com or follow us on Twitter at 1059theregion. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.